With this many people in a room, there is bound to be a wide variety of beliefs. There's bound to be um, some who are crazy, devoted disciples of Christ who really rotate their lives around his wishes, around his commandments, around pleasing him. At the other end of that spectrum, there are those who don't even believe in a God, who don't even believe in any kind of divinity even, perhaps. Some of us are going to fall in between that spectrum. Some of us in this room perhaps believe in a God, but we're not sure what he looks like, where he lives, if he's a she or she's a he. Some of us believe in a different God by a different name. Some of us believe that there is a divine power out there, but they don't know what it is. And so the reasons that some of us are in this room here tonight are for a variety of reasons as well. Some of you are here because you have a loved one who wanted you to come, and it meant something to them. Some of you are here because you're worshiping and you're celebrating the birth of Christ. The story of the nativity, the story of Christ that we read just a moment ago, is about God. Through his Holy Spirit, he conceived a son in the womb of a young Jewish girl. Her husband and her, and, and her traveled to Bethlehem at the command of the Roman emperor. And once arriving, the young couple couldn't find a place to stay. And eventually ended up giving birth to their child and laying him in basically a feeding trough. This is what the celebration, this is what the story is about. And what I'd like to ask you to do tonight is regardless of where you fall in that spectrum, but especially if you fall in that spectrum of believers who don't believe, that you would just do this for the next few moments. That you would consider a couple of things that I'm going to say as being the truth. You don't have to admit that to anybody. Just work with me. But you would just take a couple of things I'm going to say tonight as being the truth. And then I'm going to ask you what that would mean to you at the end of our time together. As you heard the story, the angels announced this birth, this baby coming, and they went and found the baby to be just like they said. And now that infant is spoken of throughout Scripture as being the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The angels proclaim him as, as such to Joseph and Mary and the shepherds. And when the astrologers arrive, that's who they're looking for. They're looking for the king of the Jews. Now, this is what I'd like for you to consider as the truth. Just consider it for a few moments. That Jesus is the Son of God, born of a virgin. Philippians 2 sheds a little light on that. We read that this morning in our service. We're going to read the same passage again. And let me just read that to you. Philippians 2, um, the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And he says this. He's speaking about Jesus. He says, He existed in the form of God, but did not regard equality with God as a thing to grasp or to keep. Instead, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. And being found in that appearance as a man, he humbled himself even to becoming obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. Now, what he's saying there is that God 
did not consider himself to be, that it was okay for him to empty himself, to set aside that godhood for a moment to come to earth and to, and to live like us and to even die the same kind of death that we would die. This is what I would describe that to help us to understand what that would look like, to help us to grasp that concept. It's like this. Every single year around election time, our politicians are out for our vote. And so to do anything they possibly can to get our vote, they will show up in our barber shops and in our workplaces and in anywhere that the normal people like us, most of us are normal for the most part, where normal people like us live, those politicians will show up there and they'll take off their coat and their tie and they'll kick off their high heels and they'll appear like one of us long enough to get us to vote for them. They'll show up for Martin Luther King Day and they'll serve. And like here in the city in Philadelphia, they're always cleaning up the vacant lots. They're doing things there. They're planting gardens. And that's where they'll show up and they'll do that because they want us to think that they are like us. And that's, in a very crude sense, what Jesus did. He set aside who he was. And he came and he lived among us. But not long enough to get our vote, he lived among us for 30 plus years. He became just like us. Where he suffered hunger and pain and sorrow. Where when he cut, he bled. When he got bumped, he bruised. And he lived just like us for 30 plus years. So he's not just your average politician. He was God who emptied himself in some form or fashion. I can't explain that. But he emptied himself. He became somehow or another something less, something more, all the same. I don't know. But he came here and he lived among us as one of us in human form. And he became a servant, it says, even to the point of dying on the cross. Here he is, the creator of the universe, became a servant. Colossians chapter 1 helps us to understand exactly who it was who came here to earth, exactly what it was that he somehow or another emptied himself of, I guess. In Colossians 1, he says this, and he is the image of the invisible God. Did you catch that? He is the image of the invisible God. And so that God that you cannot see, that God that you cannot fathom what he looks like, Jesus came here as the image of him. He is the image of the invisible God. And for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. That means everything, right? All things, that's kind of inclusive, right? Of everything. He created everything, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He existed before anything he created, and once he created, he holds it all together. He is also the head of the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Did you hear that? It was the Father's good pleasure 
for all the fullness of God to dwell on him, all of it, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace throughout the, through the blood of the cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were once formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That, that is who that baby was. The creator of the universe, the one who holds it all together, the one who, who made it and then keeps it together, the one who is the image of the invisible God, the one who the fullness of God rests upon, that one came to earth. He appeared as a man. He humbled himself to the point of dying a death he didn't have to, dying the death of a criminal. Now, pause. Remember, I'm asking you to consider that Jesus is who he said he was, that Jesus is who Colossians says he was, creator of the universe, sovereign God. If that is true, and we are saying it is, then why? Why would he come and humble himself in such a way? Why would he come and become like me? Weird, huh? Right? Or any one of us. Why would he do that? I think that there's a passage in Romans that sums it up. Romans 3, verse 23 says this. All have sinned and fall short of his glory. God came because mankind was trapped, was a slave to sin. This year, in addition to the crossing Advent devotional that we've, a bunch of you participated in, I've also been reading a devotional by uh, Paul Tripp. In his December 11th devotional, he summarizes that sinful nature, that sinfulness about us. He summarizes it this way. Sinners tend to see submission to an authority other than their own as a loss of freedom. Now, I would tend to say that even we as Christians really struggle with that, and we would admit to that. And we tend to tell themselves, and sinners, we tend to tell ourselves that they have everything they need successfully to control their lives on their own. Sinners have a great commitment to the kingdom of self than they do to the kingdom of God. They want to make their own rules. They want to write their own stories. And they tend to constrict their daily field of concern to the very confines of their own desires, choices, feelings, happiness, and needs. He says, we struggle with all these things because our greatest allegiance is to ourselves and to our own happiness. There's simply no denying it. Life this side of eternity is one big unending war of kingdoms. Mine against God. Mine against yours. And much of our inner turmoil and our interpersonal struggles are the direct result of kingdoms in conflict. Sin causes us to live inwardly direct, selfish lives instead of lives that are directed toward him and toward love of others. I think that's a good summary of my life and of all of our lives at some degree or another. And if, just if, 
we could have a conversation about the sin in our lives and how we deal with it. This is the kind of things we'd be saying. Well, it really wasn't that bad, what I did. It really wasn't that bad. It was only 20 miles over the speed limit. It wasn't that bad. The guy who passed me was going 40 miles over the speed limit. We downplay our wrongs, and we follow it up with comparisons that make us look better. I've never done anything like him, like her. Or we might say, you know what? That is so old-fashioned. That is just going to put us on the wrong side of history. We've evolved beyond that. We know better than that now. We know that's not true. We know we don't have to live by that standard. Each of those statements all are saying, God is wrong and I am right. Too many of us still believe that if we had a better education, a better exposure to other cultures, to other religions, if we just understood each other better, if we just understood that we can't really control that, it's not me that's doing that. Oh, wait a minute. It's something inside me. And isn't that the issue? It's not a behavior issue. It's a heart issue. See, this is the thing. We can take guns away from people, and people will beat each other to death with sticks. Because the heart of man is still a violent heart. You will never pass a law that stops us from hurting and hating each other. We'll be racist as long as the day is long, because the heart of man is a racist heart. Because the heart of man is always evaluating himself as being better than the next guy around him. The story of God sending his son to earth is really crazy. It is so radical and so illogical and even unthinkable. It is just hard to comprehend. And you just have to ask why. And the reason why is because the creator of the universe wanted to save his creation. The creator of the universe knew that we were doomed to suffer the consequences of our sin and our choices. And he came out of love for you and for me. And he came to demonstrate that through this glorious, incredible character of his. Through mercy and grace and love. The kind of love that none of us even begin to know how to demonstrate. The kind of love for us that we fail in all the time. And yet he came with perfect balance and with perfect ability. He loved men. At the same time, he told them they were wrong. At the same time, he told them that they would suffer the consequences for their behaviors. And he came and he begun that ministry and that message by showing up in a manger. Not because we invited him, but because we needed him. So let me just ask you this. If tonight, if tonight, what I just described, even just a little bit, describes your heart, describes the conflicts you have with your spouses, your parents, your siblings, your landlord, your neighbor, your boss. If what I just described is a little bit true about you, then Jesus came 
for you. But the fact of the matter is, what I described is true about all of us. And so Jesus left heaven, was born of a virgin, grew up and lived a sinless life, was wrongly accused, wrongly tried, tortured, and then executed. Not because he did anything wrong, but because you and I have. And in doing that, we owe a penalty for those things we've done wrong. And he came and he said, my death will pay the penalty for your sin. And that is why he came. So if anything I've said tonight were, were happened, just happened to be true, what would you do with that? If your heart is even a little bit as dark as I described, if God was as loving as I described, if that is true, what would it mean for your life here tonight? Christ sent his son to live this life, and he sent his son to live in that, to be born in that manger, not so that we would be able to give gifts and put up Christmas trees, but so that men and women and children would come to a place in their time, sometime or another, when they'd realize they had a need for a Savior and that they could not fix their sin problem themselves. And so simply by believing that Christ died for you and that you need his death as your death, you need his death as your payment, that's why Christ came. To give me and you the opportunity to believe that and to do that. Tonight, I hope that you'll consider what Jesus says about himself and the truth of that and what it means to your life. And if you've never, ever taken the claims of Christ seriously, that this Christmas, the greatest gift you'll give is the gift to yourself of belief in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Father, you are far more than we can comprehend. My simple mind cannot fathom the great love, the great mercy, the great expense it was to you for Jesus to come to the earth. And yet, we still understand we have a need and that you meet that need. Tonight, Father, we celebrate the Christ child. We celebrate Jesus who laid aside life in heaven to come and spend it with us and to ultimately give his life on our behalf. And Father, tonight, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never trusted Christ as their personal Savior, that tonight they would take his claims as Savior of the world as being serious and as being that claim for their life as well. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.